Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and uh, share God's Word uh, with you this morning. So if you would, take your Bible out and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We are in the midst of a sermon series entitled VBS Stories. Uh, We have um, last week and for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be taking time to take a look at the the biblical narratives uh, that our children will be studying in Vacation Bible School. So last week we took a look at at Zacchaeus, and uh, this week we're going to be taking a look at the woman at the well. So if you would, go ahead and, and, and turn to John 4. And we're going to do things just a little bit different in the fact that normally when we, we preach a sermon series, we have a, a main text that we, we preach from, and we usually go verse by verse. Well, this time we're going to do it just a little bit different. We're still going to get the context of the text, but we're going to do it in more of a story. I'm going to tell you the story of the Word of God, and uh, then we'll glean some information from it in maybe a little bit different way. So as uh, you... When I get to telling the story of John chapter 4, you can kind of glance over it or you can just listen. Um, because one of the things that I'm coming to grow in my appreciation of is the power of just hearing God's word. So many times we, we, and it's great to hear God's word and to read God's word, but sometimes there's great power in just hearing the word and it gives, allows our mind to be, to connect maybe more with the story, with word pictures in our minds in a different way. So in this series, uh, last week, as we were looking at the account of Jesus and his encounter with Zacchaeus, what we, we found out was that, that God in, or Christ is in the mission, on the mission of seeking and saving those that are lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is really the last verse of the account. And it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Which I think that verse in and of itself is very telling about the mission of Christ and the plight of man. It, it, it sums up all of the, the, the pinnacle of redemption. And the fact that, that Jesus, who is God, became flesh and came and dwelt among us so that he could come and seek us who were lost, who were far from God, who were rebellious against God. And so he came to seek and to save us who were lost. And last week, as we looked at Zacchaeus and himself, amazing thing was taking place. As, as Jesus is coming into town, it seems as though he's just coming on his natural journey. But at the same time, the spirit had been working in Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus had come to the place in his life where he realized he was lost. And he heard of Jesus coming into town. And so he sought to seek this person out, this Christ out, as though maybe he is the one that can save him. Well, this week, as we're going to take a look at the woman at the well, we're going to still see Jesus in this mode of seeking. We're going to see him going to where the sinners are, going to those that live lives that are completely rejected from the world, those that are so full of sin. We're going to see that Jesus is not only able to save them, he's willing to save them, and he's willing to come close to them, even when they're not seeking him. So I begin. Let me tell you the, the story of the woman at the well, which is a familiar story, but it's also full of depth that teaches God's truth in many, many deep ways. So one day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea back to Galilee, and they had to go through Samaria. And Jesus was tired from his journey. He was weary. And so he comes to a well, and he sits down. 
He sends his disciples into town and says, go get food. Soon after Jesus is sitting down, a, a woman from Samaritan, or a Samaritan woman comes with her jars ready to, to fill them up with water. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, would you please give me a drink? The woman is completely shocked that Jesus even spoke to her. And she says, why is it that you're asking me for a drink? For you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And Jesus looked the woman in the eye and he said, if you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The woman looked at Jesus. She says, how is it that you are going to give me water? You, you have no rope and you have no buckets. Jesus looked at the woman and he looked at the well and he says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The woman in joy looked at Jesus and says, I want this water. I want this because I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to have to continue to come back to this well. I want this water. Jesus then looked at the woman in the eye. And he says, go, go get your husband. The woman looks down. She says, I, I, I have no husband. Jesus interjects and says, you are correct. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man that you're now living with is not your husband. The woman still trying to figure out who this man is, asked the question. She says, I, I, I can see that you're a prophet, but answer me this question. You Jews say that you must worship God on this mountain, and yet the Samaritans say we must worship God on this mountain. Which mountain is it? Jesus looked at the woman again and says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it won't matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in the one in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know little bit about God. While, G while the Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But a time is coming, and it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Still perplexed, the woman, woman looks to Jesus, and she says, I know that a Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain all of this to us. Jesus looked at the woman again, and he says, I am he. In an overwhelming moment, the woman saw who Jesus was and she dropped her bowls and she ran back into town, claiming to everyone, come and see the man who has told me everything that I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Jesus and his disciples regathered up together and they headed into town, into the Samaritan town and spent some time there. And over throughout that time, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said 
and told them everything that he'd ever did, that she'd ever done. Then the people from the village said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that in it we see your true character and your true heart for us. That you are a seeking God. That you are a caring God. That you are a compassionate God. That you are willing to come close to us in our need and you're willing to save us. So Father, today I pray that as we look into your word, I pray that your spirit would breathe life to our souls I pray that you'd bring about correction and teaching and training in us, but bring us to a place where we better appreciate who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What I I really like about this biblical account, this narrative, is what we see in it is is Jesus, who is, is fully God and fully man, we, we see through it, Jesus is, is coming to a place where he meets a woman where he fully knows her. He fully knows her inside and out. He knows her goods and her bads. He knows everything about her. But yet this woman doesn't know anything about Jesus. And so through this process, Jesus is, is showing this woman who she really is and he's showing who he really is. And so it's, it's this beautiful picture of where Jesus shows how much we, we can be known and how much he can be known. I love the setting of this. The setting of, the, of this encounter, this saving encounter takes place at the well. Now, if, you, if you've spent any time in, in, in developing countries or if you've spent any time outside of the United States, I know when I went to Africa uh, last summer in this past winter, the well for the city was a, a place of great significance. You see, when you live in a village, you don't have plumbing that's coming to your house. And so you have to go to the well to get water. You have to pump it for yourself. And so families and women would bring these big, huge jugs to the well every single day to fill it for their family's needs. If you don't come to the well, you die. And so much of the same way this is taking place here, it's it's beautiful that we have this picture of Jesus meeting a a woman that's coming because she needs something. She needs her daily supply of water. But I also think it's amazing, at this well, we see a picture of Jesus in his humanity. You see, Jesus comes to this well on this day because he is tired. He is hungry and he is thirsty. In his humanity, he is experiencing all the limiting factors of what it means to be a human. His body needs water. And it's almost as though he is walking a mile in our shoes. So he understands our pain. He understands the challenges that we have. But yet, in this humanity, he's also completely divine. Because he knows on that day, God is using his limitations as a man to come into a place where he's going to encounter the Samaritan woman and salvation is going to come. It's a beautiful well. 
I also love in, in uh, verse 7, what, what we see here is Jesus' request for water becomes an offer of living water. See, Jesus sees this woman and he is going to interact with, in her, with her in a way that is going to break through all sorts of barriers that has kept this woman from knowing and experiencing the love of God her whole life. Look with me in verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, in, in, in this translation, it, it sounds as though Jesus is making a demand, but in reality, Jesus is coming up with a request. He's saying, give me a drink. And with those four simple words, those four simple words begin to shatter the hopelessness that has haunted this woman her whole life to this point. You see, she was shocked. We can see with her response in verse nine, we, we can know a lot about her and we can see with her, her response that she's absolutely shocked. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This woman was living her life with so many layers of challenge and obstacles that were keeping her from God. And Jesus is going to come to her in her deepest need where she's not even, she's not even thinking about being saved. She's just thinking about living for that day. I got to go to the well because I got to get water. And Jesus meets her and he's going to systematically break down all of those barriers that stand in the way between her and God. First, we see that there's a racial, a racial and ethnic divide. Everyone knew that the Jews were God's people. Everyone knew that. They were God's special chosen people. The Jews were the ones that that God loved and had special care for and special provision for. Anyone that was not a Jew was outside of that covenant, outside of that, that plan and that provision. And so the Samaritans were outside of that plan. And in fact, the Jews and the Samaritans over history had developed a great hatred for one another. There was a definite way of dissecting them and distinguishing them between each other. You were either a Jew or you weren't. You could tell a Jew from a Samaritan. So they were enemies. So she has that going against her. We also see that her gender is standing in the way she is a woman. Not only does she not have hope of becoming a Jew, she also doesn't have any any hope because this man who's offering her water or is requesting water, he's a man. And so he can't have any way to help her. He shouldn't have any way to help her. But also we know at this time that she is an outcast to her own community. All we know about her at, at, at this point is She's an outcast in her community because of the time of day that she's coming to the well. She's coming in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. You don't go to the well in the heat of the day. You go and you go early in the morning and you gather all the water that you need for your family for the full day. And so something's going on with this woman. She has got to be an outcast from her own community because she's coming at a time where she's not supposed to be there. 
She was not able to come with the rest of the women. She was not able to come in this gathering place and receive the fellowship of her own people. She may be even invisible to her own people. So now we know that this woman has no hope of experiencing or knowing the love of God because she was racially and ethnically different. She was a woman and she was an outcast. But Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her and he's willing to come close. He comes so close with compassion. God in the flesh is making himself known in a very personal way to this Samaritan woman. He looks at her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you to give him a drink, you would ask him and he would give you not just water, but he would give you this living water. Look at the, the, the perplexment of, of this woman as she, she looks at him. The woman said to him, this is verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Like, she's totally beside herself. You're, she's like, you're just a man. You're a man, you're a Jewish man that's different than me, and you now come close, and now you're offering some living water. How is this possible? Jesus has no earthly tools to provide this woman with water. And then Jesus responds. He says, there is a difference between the water from this well. It's almost as though he's using it as a object lesson. He's like, look at the well right here. As you look at the well right here, there's water in this well. And this water that is in this well, you, you have to come to every day. And it's constantly a reminder that you don't provide it, but God is providing. Because how does that well get water? It doesn't come because she's doing work. You go to a well and there's water because God and his his providence and his care is providing rain to fill that well up so that there's water. So every single day, she's coming to the fact of knowing that she needs God, but she can't know him. And Jesus says, everyone who comes to this, this well to get water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give them will become in him a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. What Jesus is telling this, this woman is the water that he has is, has the ability to overcome the curse of our humanity. It has the ability to, to be more than just water. It has the ability to not only satisfy in this life, it has the opportunity and ability to satisfy in eternity. And if you come to Jesus and you take his water that he gives, it will not only just make you feel satisfied for a moment, it will continue to work in you in a way that will produce eternal life. That's an amazing offer. And the woman responds and she says, I want this water. She's like, oh, I'm so thirsty. I want this water. I no longer want to have to come to this well ever again. Please give me this water. So she's beginning to see her need. And then Jesus does something that's a little bit shocking. 
Jesus instead, like if, if, if I were Jesus in this situation, I, I would hope that I, in, through my eyes of compassion, I would see this woman at the well and I would see that she's an outcast. I would see that she is, uh, feels totally dejected from everything that's supposed to love her. And I would wanna come close with compassion and I would wanna say, you know what? It's gonna be okay. Like I would wanna tell her about Jesus and the, the, my presentation of Jesus to her would be like, Jesus saves, Jesus loves, Jesus is forgiving. And Jesus is all that, but look how Jesus comes and the next thing he does, he offers living water, but then he wants to quickly expose the woman's wrong living. Look at me in verses 16 and 18. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here, to have him come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now we see more of a reason that this woman is an outcast. She's had five husbands and is now living with another man. There's obviously something in her life that is lacking and she's trying to fill it with different things. She's trying to fill it with the love and affection of a man and she can't fill it because it's not working. And so she's obviously in need and because of this need and she's filling it with the things of this world, it is causing her to be an outcast of her own culture. She is living in a shameful lifestyle. She's been labeled as dirty, no good. She is a woman that is destined to a life of shame. But what I love about Jesus' response here is that it's amazing. He doesn't come and he doesn't continue on in the message that she's always heard. She's heard her whole life messages of shame and condemnation. Jesus doesn't come with a message of shame and condemnation to this woman. Instead, he comes and he knows her. And though he doesn't condemn her for her sin, he also doesn't overlook it. He exposes it so that it can be dealt with, so that it can be forgiven. And so she can experience this bubbling up of life and new water. Just as he can be the giver of living water, Jesus can cure and forgive the sinfulness of man. Our lives are not shocking to the Lord, but he cares and wants to seek and to save those of us that are lost. We're all lost. So now the the woman from that moment is either she's trying to deflect the conversation or I'm not sure exactly what's going on in in the heart and mind of this woman, but whatever happened, as the scales from her eyes are being removed and she's beginning to see Jesus for who he is, she now has the question and she wonders, is he a prophet? Is he one that is sent from God to be able to tell her the truth of, of, of the way back to God? So she says, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Tell me now, which is the right mountain to worship God? If I ever hope to be able to approach God and worship him and have my sins forgiven and be restored in relationship with which mountain is it? Is it the mountain of the Jews? Do I have to go to Jerusalem, climb that mountain and make my worship and sacrifices to God? Or do I, do I come to the Samaritan mountain that all my ancestors have come to and worship God from this mountain? Is that how I find God? Which mountain is it? 
Because it can't, there can't be multiple ways to this God. Either the Jews are wrong or the Samaritans are wrong. Which way is it? And since you're a prophet, please help me. Jesus looks at the woman. Jesus says, it's not going to be found on a mountain. Look with me. In verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus spends time talking about true worship. Jesus is showing the difference between religion and a relationship that's found in the gospel. That's what he's trying to, 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 to push up against. What, what they were doing is they, the people were living their lives saying, if I do this, I can attain God. If I go and I'm at the right mountain and I worship in the right way, doing the right things, then God will have to hear from me and God will show, show his favor to me. But Jesus says, it's not about a religion. It's not about what you do. Salvation is not coming based on you. Salvation is coming from me. And it's not you that you can attain me. Instead, what's happening is I'm coming to you. And a time is coming and is now here when it's not based on what you do, but it's based on the spirit and the truth. The gospel is the found, it's founded on the spirit and the truth. The spirit is this. It's the spirit of God. There's, so there's a spirit of God that is at work. When God's at work in someone's life, he's, he's showing them the, their need for a, a savior. But then the spirit of the person is a spirit that is willing to submit to the lordship of Christ. That's the spirit that he's talking about. A submissive heart, a heart and a will that is willing to bow its knee to the God that is creator of all things. That's the spirit he's looking for. And then it's one that's founded on truth, not on tradition. It's not based on what your father says or the practices of your, your culture for, for years. It's based on the truth, the truth of the word of God as revealed and the person of Christ. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, this is time's coming and now it's here. It's when you must worship by bowing your heart to God, not with the things you do with your hands, but the bowing of your heart, surrendering of your will, and a belief in the truth. That is what God is looking for. So now the woman, verses 25 and 26, is trying to put all these pieces together and she finally comes to the place where she meets her Savior. Look at me in verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman had enough knowledge to know that the Messiah was coming. And she's hearing these wonderful things. She's seeing this man at the well and she's trying to put all these pieces together. She's saying, okay, he's, he's a man, he's a Jewish man, but he's more than that because he's a prophet. He's able to see this. So is he a prophet? And then he speaks, speaks these things of, of God and worship and, and how you may be restored. And so her mind is going to the fact of, what else do I know? Well, I know that there's a Messiah coming and he's gonna come and he's gonna explain everything. And then Jesus says, 
open your eyes and see me for who I am. He says, I am the Messiah. Can you imagine God in the flesh meeting you in the deepest, darkest place of your sin? And him not saying, you can't know me. I don't want to have any part of you. Instead, he comes close to you. And he says, I am the one that can save you. I don't want you to stay in the place of the pit of your sin, but I want to rescue you. That's the message this woman is hearing. And the Bible tells us that just at that moment, the disciples come in and she leaves. She takes off. She leaves her her pots there and she's running into town and she's running into town with a message Verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So she's taking off. Her life is is being changed. And so she immediately wants to tell others. Now, this is an amazing thing. So the gospel now, for the very first time, is coming to the Samaritans. And look who God chooses to be the evangelist. Like, isn't that an amazing thing? A woman that no one could see comes bringing the message of salvation. There is one. I just saw him. He is the Messiah. He knows everything that I did and he's not willing to distance himself. Instead, he's willing to come close. Come and see. I can't even imagine the picture of this woman coming into town and, and if I'm a Samaritan man and she's screaming about this man who just saw this woman that has been not even in my, my eyesight because I've overlooked her for many, many years. She's now coming and saying, I'm changed, I'm changed, I'm different. There's this man, come and see. And then Jesus comes to town and he begins to continue to confirm the things that the lady, that this woman has been talking about. And in that process, you have people from the Sumerian village they're beginning to wrestle with who they are and who this Christ is. And then they're able to, to, to look at the place. And I love that, that Jesus chose this woman to be the evangelist because they, they look at her life and they say, she is so far from God. There's nothing that should make her desirable to the God of the universe. And yet this Jesus comes close to her and he saves her. If God can save her, he can save me because I'm not as bad as her. And we see that just that happens. He comes to town. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, I to- he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him and they stayed with him for two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you've said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus was able to bring salvation to this woman. Why? Because he knew her. He knew her needs. He knew her fears. He knew her. And he was willing to come close to her. 
even though she was rejected and she was despised by her own people, he had compassion to come close. Maybe you're here today and as you hear this biblical narrative, maybe you most identify yourself with the outcast woman. Maybe you've been living your life to this point and like it hasn't worked out. Like your life has been full of pain and your life is full of brokenness where you try to look around and, and you're giving an account of your own life. You're trying to take inventory of your life and you're like, man, this just isn't working. Well, I'm trying my best to be a good person. I'm trying my best to keep my family together. I'm trying my best to, to work hard. I'm trying my best at all these things. And yet there's something missing in my life. It's just not working. And maybe in this process of of trying to find things to fix the brokenness in your life, you have found yourself distanced from real people and real relationships. Maybe you're in a place where you're not even really meaningfully known. Maybe you feel like you're just existing in this world. Well, if you're here today and that's like, if you identify with this woman, See, the reality of the truth of God is that you can be known. You can be fully known and you can be fully forgiven and you can be fully brought back into a relationship with the God of the universe and you can have meaning, you can have purpose and you can be forgiven. If we turn from the things that we we think are giving us life and we turn to Jesus... And we say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. I realize that you, are, you offer living water. I need this living water. Because I believe that on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. And through that, you not only took my penalty, but you provided for forgiveness for all that I've done. And you, through that, give me an opportunity to be restored to the God of the universe. I believe in you. I take hold of you. Or, or maybe you're here today and the amazing compassion of Christ has been what you needed to hear today. Maybe the way Jesus was compassionate, the way Jesus was moved, even in the midst of his his weakness, in the midst of his humanity, he didn't let his need for water or his need for food cloud him from meeting with this woman. I mean, if your life is like mine, our lives are so full with so many appointments and and meetings and going from here to there that our lives are full with so much opportunity and so much activity that sometimes with our fullness of activity, we push out the desire to be compassionate. And we're missing opportunities to, like Christ, draw close. So maybe you're here today and you need to ask God to open your eyes to be more compassionate. The truth of that was never more real than in my life recently. I've been asking the Lord to help me be more compassionate. I think I'm a compassionate person, but I I know in my heart there's a great way in which I need to grow and to be more compassionate. And so a couple weeks ago, I was actually asking the Lord to help me be more compassionate. And Saturday rolls around, and Saturday at our house is always filled with a to-do list. Like there's so many things to do on Saturday. Saturday may be, in your house, it may be a time of rest, but in my house, it's a time to get stuff done that's been neglected through the week. And so we had this pile of clothes in our garage that we'd been meaning to, to get rid of for a while, meaning to donate. 
So finally, a couple Saturdays ago, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take care of this today. So I load up the truck, load up the car, and take like 800 bags of clothes to the Goodwill. It was like, my car was riding low because there's all these bags. And so I go, to, I go to the Goodwill and the gentleman comes out to help me and we're loading some bags, you know, and we're taking them. He's like, hey, would you like a receipt? I'm like, yeah. So we walk back into his office or his collection area and I look down as he starts to write the receipt. I look down and he's got two books open on his desk. One is the New World Translation, which is the Bible that the Jehovah's Witnesses use. And the other book was the uh, reasonings, reasonings from Scripture, which is another Jehovah's Witness book. And I know these things because my father-in-law is Jehovah's Witness. And my heart is broken for those people that, are, that, that live in that faith, thinking that they're finding salvation. But that's another story for another day. Well, I, I remember looking there at his books, and I looked at myself, man, I'm like, this guy is this guy's Jehovah's Witness. So I asked him. You know, in my mind, I'm, I just started this conversation. I'm like, hey, are you Jehovah's Witness? And he said, no, no, I'm not. He said, but I, I, I'm a Christian. He said, I just, got out of, I, I just got out of prison. And while I was in prison, I, I came to know Jesus. But since I've been out, I am so confused. He says, Jehovah's Witnesses showed up at my door and they started talking about Jehovah and how Jesus and all that. He, and he, they said, read these books and study with us and we'll tell you the way unto life. And so, so, so I'm studying. But then he says, there's also these Muslim guys that I know that are, that are coming close and telling me all of these things about Muhammad and all these other ways and, and about this truth and about that truth. And he's like, I'm so confused. He's like, I'm just, I, I just want someone to help me. And he looks at me and he says, can, can you help me? I'm like, can I help you? I'm like, this is like the lowest hanging fruit in my, of course I can help you. But in that moment, I had to choose. Like I still have a list of 87,000 other things that need to get done at home. And yet there's this man saying, hey, can you help me? Can you help me understand all of the stuff that I'm reading? And so for the next 25 minutes or so, I, I began to walk with him through, you know, understanding the, the ends of all of these promises are different. The ends of Islam is different than the end of Christianity, which is different than the end of Jehovah's Witnesses. And he looked at me at the end and he's like, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. And I encouraged him. I said, you know, you don't need that Bible anymore. I'm like, do you have a Bible? He's like, I got a Bible. I'm like, you read the Bible. I said, if you've come to know Christ, his spirit lives inside of you and you read that word and it will make sense. His spirit will make it come alive. That's all you need. I said, besides that, you also need to go to church. But I said, you begin there and then you take that and you go to church. And there you'll have other believers that will help you follow after God. Living lives of compassion is not hard but it takes intentionality and it takes the ability and the need to be able to see. So maybe that's your prayer. God, help me to see. Father, we thank you for your word, for your love and for your life. We thank you, God, that you are a God that cares for us deeply and you are a God that has provided a way not only for us to know you, but also that we may be reconciled and have our sins forgiven. So Father, I pray today that you would continue to allow your, work, your word to work in us, to bring us to a place of confession, whether we need to confess you as our Lord and Savior or we need to confess you before men. Father, continue 
to allow the, the living water that lives inside of us to bubble up and spill out in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming today. Go in peace.